0: In this episode of Sustain, Susanna Kugelberg, researcher at CBS, meets Jacob Bybro andersen the CEO of MASHMAKES. The core vision of MASHMAKES is to be able to capture 1 billion metric tons of CO2 annually by 2050, and the company's vision rests on gigaton thinking, which is a mindset that drives the company. MASHMAKES started as a project on the Technological University of Denmark, DTU, centred around a technology that converts various waste streams, mainly residue biomass, into different bioproducts. After a couple of years of testing and tweaking the technology, Jacob and the core team have now commercialized the technology. The technology, simply put, makes it possible to produce biofuel, biochar and carbon removals. To support Gigaton thinking, they seek investors for production sites using mass technology Parts of the world where the technology can provide a larger societal impact. Let's hear Jacob explaining MashMakes and how they will succeed with their core ambition. Thank you, Jacob, for joining Sustain. My pleasure. So, Jacob,
1: I looked at your website, MashMakes, and I read this impressive statement one gigaton of carbon removals, which is about one billion metric tons of carbon dioxide which is, if I haven't miscalculated, almost two and a half percent of total C2 emissions per year on a global scale. So how will M- MASH make succeed such an ambition?
2: Well, first of all, uh, well, I appreciate uh, you having sort of uh, spotted that feature of, uh, of sort of our vision and, and how we're approaching things in MASH. It's all you could say a consequence of uh, what we've uh, what we've tried to coin as the term uh, gigaton thinking. So essentially the fact that we try to do things in our everyday uh, development and uh, sort of uh, business um, explorations that will get us uh, to the gigaton range. So essentially uh, we can make decisions today that will get us to that level as opposed to decisions that will not. It sounds a little bit banal, but it really does affect uh, our day-to-day decision-making. Um, so specifically, uh, one of the consequences of that is that we have identified a, a techn- technology platform. In fact, that's kind of where it all had its start, uh, that we believe has the potential to bring us well above that target. In fact, uh, recent publications seem to indicate that we should maybe be talking three to six gigatons, not just uh, single gigatons. So, yeah.
1: Interesting, interesting. So you're speaking about the technology platform. But what type of platform? What does this a technology platform do?
2: So, effectively, like, so the the uh, the intuitive way of understanding our technology platform is to say that we have some, some processes where you can throw different types of biomass residues at them. Uh, and when they then go into these, these residues, when they go into this platform, uh, they'll sort of break it down into smaller pieces. Some of those pieces could be an energy product. Some of those, uh, such as a biofuel, for instance. Some of it will be a gas that we can combust to produce electricity and heat for the uh, the process itself. And a lot of it will also come out in the form of something called biochar, which is a soil amendment. That is, you can add it to soils and you can actually improve on the quality of soils. But what's really cool about that last part, the biochar, is that you also, while doing so, you actually sequester carbon. That is, the biochar is a very, very stable form of carbon that will not be broken down by bacteria uh, in the soil. Uh, In other words, the biomass, which originally came from CO2 in the atmosphere, has now that carbon has now been turned into something that will stay in the soil for hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of years. And if you want to get a technical term for what all of that is called, it's called thermochemistry. Uh, Specifically, what we're rolling out right now on our technology platform is a subset of that called pyrolysis uh, processes.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, all this—I mean, technology, this process technology—so that will be installed in different plants or industries. Correct. Yes. So, where will these industries be located?
2: So, uh, you could say that if you have a, uh, you know, an overall uh, business concept and 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 underlying technology platform that takes point of departure in biomass residues. Um, you really need to go where the biomass residues reside, right? Uh, And if you do sort of a global mapping of that, you'll quickly come to realize that that actually isn't necessarily in the parts of the world that that we live in, right? And it isn't necessarily Northern Europe. It isn't necessarily even Europe. In fact, uh, the big unutilized biomass residue resources out there will be in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, in uh, South Asia, in uh, South America, so that's really what we're targeting. The first commercial plant that we're rolling out is in um, in Karnataka, a state in uh, India.
1: hmm mm-hmm. So is it essentially because it's close to different forests, except for sub or sub-Saharan? they also have a lot of of forest or tropics.
2: Well, forests are a little bit of a hot potato in the the, the biomass space. What we try to look for is the stuff that's left from existing value chains. So right now we're doing a bunch of stuff in, in the cashew value chain. Could also be rice production, rice husk, which is a residue from that. That value chain, uh, sugar cane, and the residues coming from that value chain are also very, very attractive. Uh, so um, that's, those are examples of it. Um, forest is, um, you know, insofar as we're dealing with what you can call the residues from forest preservation, prunings, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But it tends to be, at least for the time being, other types of biomass residues. I say, I'm saying residues a lot, but that is actually really important.
1: Yeah, of course, because there are also some risks linked to it. So it has to be sustainability. It has to be sustainable sourced. Is that one of the core issues? There that cannot need to... be
2: any, uh, you know, there cannot be a risk of, we cannot be seen to, or in fact, we cannot, simply cannot be taking uh, biomass <clears throat> resources away from food systems, from, uh, you know, biospheres, uh, you know, and we cannot be, uh, be hurting biodiversity and things like that. So that is simply not, uh, that's not acceptable. And that's why we look at the residues.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. But how many plans will be needed in order for you to achieve this mission? Well, a lot.
2: <laughs> um, so, uh, and and sort of also referring back to this notion of gigaton thinking, well, we need to think about these plans in uh, in ways that allows us to actually scale them up in terms of production to to the numbers that we need. And I'll, I will get to a number in a second, I promise. I, uh, just to give you a frame of reference, I, I did uh, did a little bit of a research on it, um, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, and and I went to my <clears throat> CTO and told him, I have a number now. It's actually quite easy. We just need to produce about as many of our machines as uh, the Japanese are producing Toyota to Corollas on an annual basis. <laughs> so that's a lot. Actually, that will get us uh, to the finish line quite a little, quite a bit quicker than than uh, what is otherwise the case. Yeah. But as you can maybe discern already. This is an assembly line product. This is something that is uh, produced from a factory floor in very large numbers. And that's a core part of our strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. But could you also maybe explain a little bit more about your business model? Because then you have this technology platform and then you build it on yes. a plant. Yes. And, and there you attract investors. Mm-hmm. So they will, together with you, own a part of this plant. Or or how is it? Yes. How does it work?
2: And by the way, I did promise you a number uh, just uh, while I'm at it. Uh, we're talking something like 50,000 plants, uh, each of which have uh, four parallel process lines. That's sort of our target. And of course, in doing so, uh, we need to think in terms of scale also, as you say, on the business model side. And what that means is that, well, first of all, we need to have these plants become an investable uh, asset, something that is, uh, that, that, doesn't look weird to international, let's say, asset managers that sort of would fit in their portfolio. So that's an important part of our strategy, making sure that our sites, our plants are actually investable, that they work from an asset management perspective. Um, The other thing is that we try to simplify things in the sense that we know that from certain residues we can produce various outputs. So that could be a biofuel, which is what we're focusing on right now, together with biochar and credits. It doesn't matter Where we produce that biofuel, that biochar, and those credits, it will always be the same output if we're sticking to the same process concept, if we're sticking to the same biomass residue. That also means that these are, well, not all of them, but uh, hopefully soon they all will be international commodities that can be traded in a global market. That also means that we don't have to come up with local demand for our commodities whenever we set up a plant. That helps immensely in rolling this out.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because it's it's a it's a it's a very nice idea. It's a very nice technology and you see a lot of benefits from a climate perspective. But having that said, it's also like you need to then you build the plant, you have the technology, but then you have these free products. So you also need to find then someone to sell them to. So for example, for biochair, do you then who do you sell that to? That is not the investors that invested in, yeah. in the plant. That's another Part. So is that the, the well, fertilizer a, industry or who's that buying
2: those? Well, that's the tricky thing about having like, and, and, and by the way, just to be clear, we don't necessarily have a choice in exactly what comes out. We can try to optimize these things as much as we possibly can, but we don't have a choice on whether or not to have biochar. So we kind of have, at the end of the, have to, at the end of the day, sell the biochar. And you actually sort of hit the head on the, the nail in this regard because of the markets that we're dealing in, biofuel, you know, pretty well established market we know who to deal with we know what the standards are and the the distribution chains and all of that is is it, all of that is well established uh, the carbon credit market is actually rather well developed again no problem in getting that product out in the market the one that really stands out in terms of let's say lack of commoditization is the biochar market so in that uh, market we have to be market makers not just someone who is exploring a market and and learning how a market works, we have to uh, set down the uh, uh, the game rules ourselves together with with strong partners. So that is that is a little bit tricky, but luckily the other markets are a little bit more commoditized.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that is also interesting because then coming back around, you guys, MashMakes, who are you behind this this great ambition?
2: Well, so we're uh, we're an Indo Danish company. The original founders were, you know, both from Denmark and India. And for the same reason, we have been in India since day one. Uh, we've, in fact, never really done anything commercially on the ground in Denmark, uh, let alone in, in Europe. So uh, today, most of our team uh, sits in India, in Mumbai. Our first commercial site, as I said earlier, is also in the south, more south uh, in India in the state of Karnataka. Uh, and then we have a, uh, we're, we have a headquarter in Copenhagen. We just moved to a new nice location out in Nordhavn. Um And the reason for that, the reason why we are headquartered in Copenhagen is that we are a spin out from the Technical University of Denmark. So all of us, the original founders, we actually uh, got to know each other at the Technical University of Denmark. And also this technology platform that we're using is coming from that university as well.
1: Mm, interesting. And I'm just thinking around what it How would you describe your core resources? Because you're both a technology-driven company. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of expertise in R&D to develop this technology. But you also need a lot of of abilities when it comes to commercialization. Absolutely, yeah.
2: You could say, well, so we're uh, as clear-cut a case of technology push as you'll probably find out there. But technology push shouldn't be misunderstood as something that doesn't involve a heck of a lot of commercial activities. In fact, most of my everyday work is about. Commercially getting this thing to work, uh, you know, seeing if we can actually capture value there by by applying our solutions. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. The first step of understanding a technology in technology push is always understanding what does this technology actually do. But then the next and perhaps even more important step is: does anyone care? <laughs> like, is this some uh, feature that someone actually wants to utilize? And is there value that can be captured? Is there any value to be captured there? So that is what we're spending a lot of our time on.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that actually brings me to my last question, because why do you think the time is right now? What is, why is this technology, you know, right now?
2: Mm, yeah, well, uh, I think like there's some 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 obvious reasons uh, for that. Like, so the fact that, for instance, these mechanisms for carbon sequestration that we were leveraging have uh, have been acknowledged by the IPCC, so that it's you know it's it's uh, it's actually something that can put put on a like a GHG balance sheet. So that that does help. Uh, having said that, uh, we were still moving forward rather quickly before that came into play. Um, a couple of years back, maybe three years ago, we were focusing mostly on the biofuel side of, of the business. So I am you know, I'm I'm of course wanting there to be a lot of uh, regulation uh, within this field and a lot of initiatives both incentives and 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 regulation uh, but i'm also seeing that markets are really really moving forward fast consumers and also companies are uh, wanting solutions that have a, an improvement on the ghd footprint that is as a, from a market perspective absolutely that is a driver this technology that we're working with in my view has been sort of the best kept secret uh, in uh, in danish uh, research for a long long time And that is not because people haven't tried to get it to the market. But it is, as you say, there is a timing aspect there. I also think, you know, uh, to add a layer to that, I also think there is a pretty important dimension, which is I don't think that technology necessarily belongs in Denmark. I think that technology has a home uh, outside of Denmark. I think uh, it can have much more impact, let's say, in the gigaton range when used in, let's say, India, Kenya, other places.
1: Hmm. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. It was so interesting to have
0: you on Sustain. Thank you. Climate change is a critical global challenge. In this podcast, Jacob talked about how the technology developed by MASH can contribute to some of these global challenges. The innovative technology of MASHMAKES uses pyrolysis and gasification to transform biomass residues into energy and soil amendments, which produce carbon credits. The MASH platform impacts both greenhouse gas levels, biodiversity, communities, and investors. My name is Marianne Bienfeld-Kellmann, and I've been your host of this podcast episode.